Hello, Bethel fandom. Well, I did say it might be a while before you heard from me again. Hi, it is I, your host, Sunny, aka Dynamic Symmetry on Tumblr and Twitter and various other places, and I'm so happy to be speaking to you again, finally. Yeah, it took me a while to get this one thrown together and out there. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, it's just, it's been a month, and it's going to be another month because I'm going to be doing a ton of work this month, and I don't know when I'm going to be able to get the next one of these up. I don't even know what it's going to be about. I don't know. I don't know anything. It's 28 fucking team. We'll figure something out. 2018's the year of figuring stuff out, right? Sure. Sure it is. But, but what I have for you is wonderful. I have for you part of chapter 8 of Burn. It's only part of it. In fact, it might be part one of three parts of chapter 8 of Burn because Mal, I love you and I love this fic and I'm loving reading it, but you write the longest fucking chapters and it is driving me insane. But, but yeah, um, part one of that and chapter nine of Safe Up Beer Review and then a very lovely little light fic like I normally try to do with these things called Kiss Me and You Will See How Important I Am by Sarah Celine. As usual, we're going to be starting with Burn, then we're going to go to the horror of Safe Up Here With You, and then we're going to go back to the happy lightness, relatively speaking, with the final one shot. I do think that I am going to be jumping into three different chaptered fix rather than two different chaptered fix and a one shot in the next episode of the reading series that I'm doing. And in fact, I have what I am going to be reading besides Burn and Safe Up Here With You all picked out, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, I'm actually going to be jumping into a new current multi-chapter, uh, which is a little bit of a bet. Uh, the author has assured me that they are going to continue it, uh, but but uh, this is a little bit of an extra pressure. Like, you really do need to ke keep writing it now because I'm re actually reading it. Uh, it is Blow a Smoke Ring for My Halo by Scandalmonger. Uh, it's kind of dealing with dark death, and, uh, I mean, that's my jam. I mean, that's safe up here with you, kind of, among other things. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited excited about getting to that. So again, to recap, next episode of the reading series, we're going to be having Burn, we're going to be having Safe Up Here With You, and we're going to be having Blow a Smoke Ring for My Halo. That is a dope fucking title, by the way. Very well done. I appreciate a good title, mostly because it's almost impossible for me to do, personally. Before we get to the fic, quick bit of house cleaning. Uh, I don't know if you can hear the space heater that I've got running in the background. It is unbearably cold in Maryland right now. I mean, I, I probably shouldn't whine. I know it's uh, a lot colder in a lot of other parts of the country, but it is like in the low 20s right now. And it's going down into the single digits tonight. And I just checked the weather and it's going down to like four, a low of four on Friday. Oh God, well, it's January. You know, it's supposed to be like this. But yeah, um, I apologize for the background noise, but I'm so, so fucking cold, you guys. My apartment's all tiled and got like no rugs. <laughs> anyway, that's not the house cleaning. The quick bit of house cleaning that I want to get to. Um, for a while, you might have heard Patreon was doing some bullshit with their fees, and I thought I was going to have to shut down the Patreon associated with this podcast and my fic books and some of the other extracurricular additional fandom stuff that I do besides just the fic. Uh, I thought I was going to have to shut it down. I ended up not shutting it down. So it is still open. So if you want to toss me a buck a month or so just to keep help me keep doing this, help me justify the amount of time I put into this, I really do promise I intend to keep doing this, by the way. Uh, that's awesome. If not, that's totally cool too. You can go ahead and spread the word about this on Tumblr or any other social media venues you happen to use. Reblog, uh, rec to people who might enjoy it, you know, all that good stuff. 
because it's not like I advertise aside from, you know, the posting that I do myself. So more listeners means happy podcast. Oh, and the other thing that I have started doing for people who don't prefer to use Patreon, uh, you can still do the PayPal thing that's linked on the uh, podcast website, keepsinging.podbean.com, but you can also now buy me a coffee. Uh, yeah, I signed up for that because uh, I thought it was pretty cool. And it is pretty cool. It's, it's, it's been a nice little addition to my spotty income streams here and there while I finish working on my dissertation. So that's also linked at keepsinging.podbean.com. You can help uh, feed my caffeine habit or whatever it is that I'm currently throwing money at. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get to the fic. Uh, sorry for the rambling. I'm just, uh, like I said, it's been a month. A quick note of caution, I mean, I almost feel like it's redundant to offer these at this point, but I still guess that I should. Um, Burn is, I mean, it's moving into sex, but it's not quite there yet. There is some discussion of past sex, because Daryl's sort of ruminating on what's just happened. Uh, Safe up here with you just continues to be fucked up as all hell. Uh, That's not going to change. It's going to continue to be fucked up until the end, pretty much, as you know, if you have read that fic. So uh, just just proceed with some caution, Um, especially given that Safe Up Here With You is starting to incorporate more violence. I mean, but, you know, again, you know that. You knew that. You should know what you are signing up for with that that fic anyway. Go check the tags on AO3 if if you're not 100% sure. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm gonna shut up. Uh, hope you enjoy the fic, and I will see you on the flip side. Burn by the Vampire Cat Chapter 8 Absolution It's Beau that wakes him whining quietly in his ear and snuffling against his neck before scampering to the front door and then back to where they lie tangled in the quilt and each other. It takes him a moment to register, to gain his bearings, to remember why he's lying on a stack of pillows on the lounge floor, why he's naked and why he's wrapped around Beth, one hand on her breast, the other pressing against her belly, face buried in her hair, a knee between her legs. It takes him another to realize that it's light outside, too light, too bright for it to still be early morning the sun's dappled rays streaming through the window and onto the tan of his arm, the white of hers. He blinks, his head is pounding, pounding worse than it did that night they got drunk on moonshine. Drunk on moonshine. Drunk on each other. He thinks he must be wasted, wasted and hung over and lucid all at the same time. Pragmatically, he knows he's none of those things. Pragmatically, he knows he can't be. But he ain't being real pragmatic right now. He wonders irrationally if something happened, something bad that made them sleep downstairs, askew the mattress and their clothes, apparently. Wonders why it's so late in the day and why they were up all night. It's not that it's unusual to wake up with her in his arms. It happens more days than it doesn't. Happens so often that even that awkward morning untangling, the removal of his hand where it slipped below the waistband of her pajama bottoms to her hips, one morning her goddamn thigh, her thigh for fuck's sake, has become less frightening, more commonplace. What's unusual is the nudity, the pillows, the fucking lounge floor, and the stupid light from the stupid sun streaming through the stupid window. And it's then that his brain does a little flip and makes that connection. It's then he realizes why he's drunk and sober and floating and drowning at the same time. No, it's not a clear picture, not by a long shot. Oh god, no, that would be too easy. Or too hard, depending on your point of view. It's a mess. 
a jumble of sounds and pictures coming at him in fragments and waves, spirals and shards, puzzle pieces that make no sense in the fog. It's Beth, and she's whispering his name, voice deep and husky, thick with something, something another man, a braver man, would swear was lust. And then it's him, and he's shouting, Beth, 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 as he looms over her, and her legs are twisted around him, clamping down like a vice he never wants to escape. And he knows fucking knows that it was lust in his voice and her eyes. And he knows that it had to come to this. And she does too. He sees her standing in the center of these pillows, mostly naked, eyes wide and pleading as she drops her clothes, item by item, to the floor, as she shivers and trembles and dares him to look away. Dares him. Like that was even the remotest possibility. The remotest. And then it's his rough hands, tanned and hard against alabaster skin, and her hair, hair that shines like gold and flows like silk rippling over his chest. Her body, firm and sweet, slumped across his, breath coming out hard and fast while her heart beats like a drum, an erotic tattoo in time with his. He thinks he spent the night fucking Beth Green. He thinks he spent the night inside her. He thinks he's going to go off his fucking head. He swallows, and he can still taste her on his lips, on his tongue, and that's a memory, too. The time of his head between her legs, her hands in his hair, and her body convulsing around his mouth, and he thinks how stupid they've been. Stupid and reckless and ridiculous. And there's a moment he just wants to close his eyes, bury his face in her skin, breathe in her scent of sex and soap and sweat, and go back to sleep. Wake up in an easier time. A time when he knows how to handle this and all its consequences. But there's no rest for the wicked. Not here. Not anywhere else, either. Bo's whining and licking his ear again, the smell of warm puppy breath tickling his neck and setting a nasty shiver down his spine. All right, all right, he says softly as he shifts under the quilt, trying not to jostle Beth as he does. He wants to kiss her shoulder. That's something he does sometimes in the mornings, quick and fluid as he moves to get up. Likes that moment when his rough lips meet her soft skin, Imagines it could linger, but he never does. Not really, anyway. But not this morning. This morning of all mornings, he doesn't want to wake her. Can't have that conversation now, stilted and awkward as it may be. Can't even imagine what he'd say or where he'd look. Look at me, Daryl. It's too much and too big, and if he wasn't naked and pressed up against her, the first stirrings of his erection against her ass, he probably wouldn't believe it himself. Write it off as a vivid dream, a perverse fantasy. But it ain't, because he is naked and pressed up against her, and his cock is hard and against her ass, and he's sticky, and so is she, and he spent the night fucking Beth Green. And it's just really fucking important that she doesn't wake up now. His joints are sore and stiff as he maneuvers out of her grasp, pushing himself onto his elbows and reaching for his discarded jeans. He rolls his shoulder, feeling the muscles crack and pop, and he wonders why they were so daft as to sleep on this uneven pile of pillows instead of the bed upstairs. But he suspects it's not only this makeshift bed that has his muscles flaring. God, Beth, what have we done? Another image of him crouched between her legs flashes through his head, his tongue on her where she's wet and slippery and tastes of heaven and hell, her hands hard in his hair as his dig into the soft flesh of her ass. And then she said she loved him. What have we done? He shakes it away, shakes himself out. 
Ain't no time for that now. No time at all. He can't fall down that rabbit hole. He can't because he'll never claw his way back. And because Bo's jumping on the spot and whining softly, and he knows there's going to be an accident soon if he doesn't hurry the fuck up. His shirt is nowhere to be found, but he remembers how he wiped her down with it, and is almost immediately hit with another memory of her hands on his back, on his scars, and he quite literally wants to climb out of his own skin at that. Climb out of his own skin, or go out of his mind. He knows he can't do either. Thinks he might just have to do both. He glances back at her, half expecting her to be awake and glaring at his marks, but she's still asleep, still breathing regular, lips still red and swollen, and dark love bites marring the pale skin on her neck, bites in the shape of his mouth. He thinks he might have got carried away. He touches the scar on his chest. He thinks maybe they both did. And part of him wants to go back and erase it all, and another part wants to do it all over again. Either way, he knows he's screwed. Knows everything's screwed. I guess that's a feeling. His hands shake a little as he zips up. Not as much as last night, but enough. And suddenly he'd give anything to get that box of cigarettes back he tossed away the day after they found these houses. He decided he didn't need them. Decided it wasn't right to always be fouling up the air around her and fucking up his own lungs. Ain't no reason to go out any sooner than he should. Not now, at least. But he really wants one. Really, really wants one. If only to give his hands something to do and his mind something else to think about. Something that's not Beth's mouth and breasts and skin. Something that's not the stickiness of their climaxes and the feel of her body on his. He stands and shushes Bo when he lets out a yelp and scampers to the door. There's a clean shirt hanging over the back of one of the chairs and he grabs it and starts to pull it on, but not before he hears a change in her breathing. He glances back at her over his shoulder, fully expecting to see her awake and gaping at his scars now laid bare in the light of day, but her eyes are still closed and her hair is still a rippling starburst across the pillows, the swells of her breast exposed above the edge of the quilt. He takes a moment to look at her, the way she's like moonlight and sunshine, pale and golden and pink. He's always thought she was beautiful, even when they first rolled into Herschel's farm a million years ago. She may have been nothing but a young, pretty daddy's girl with two big eyes and the voice of an angel then, but there was always something about her that drew people in, drew him in. Maybe at first it was that youthful innocence, the fact that her very existence was a symbol that the world wasn't done, that there was still hope. Maybe it was just listening to a pretty girl sing them through the darkness, through the death. And then suddenly one day everything changed. He tells himself he can't put a date on it, but the truth is, he can. October 23rd, a month after they opened the prison gates to Zack and his sweet ride. A month after Andrea, a month after Rick asked him to take over, to lead. And because he was a follower, a pack animal, he did what was asked and led. Like anyone thought that could have worked. Anyone. Disease, murder, and finally annihilation. He's pretty sure he's not cut out for it. Pretty sure he wasn't the best choice. He lets himself dwell on this sometimes, lets himself wallow in his failures. Thinks of how they left Zack there at the big stop, left him to die or turn. He's not sure which is worse. Except he is. Maybe he should feel guilty. Especially now, especially after last night. 
Maybe he should feel some kind of shame about Zack beyond not being able to save him, and honest to God, he wishes he had. But he thinks of Beth and how it's been between the two of them. The touches, the kisses, the fact that they sleep in the same bed and pretend it's for protection. All the while using every opportunity they have to touch and explore without touching and exploring. And he just can't feel guilty for loving her. October 23rd. He knew the date because she kept a calendar and he saw it that morning and remembered that it was his ma's birthday and he'd let himself be sad about it for a while. Let himself think of her blackened eyes and smoky breath. The way she touches hair and tell him he was the best boy. And then he closed off those memories, drowned the last dregs of his coffee, and walked to F-block to see about a collapsing support in the fence. Instead, he'd found Zack and Beth pressed up against the prison wall, hands in the pockets of her jeans and a knee between her thighs, while her fingers tangled in his hair. He can't describe what he'd felt as shock, because it wasn't. It was more of a realization, an understanding of sorts that made him look at her differently after that take note of the sway of her hips and the curve of her ass, the rosebud pout of her lips. And then she started spending more time around him, too, mainly because of Zack, and after that he could never not be aware of her. And now after all these months, after the funeral home, after, oh, after last night and all the nights before, he knows how perfect she is. And it's like a punch in the gut and a kick in the teeth, because he also knows how perfect he is not. He gets that it's dumb that the scars bother him, but they do. And it ain't just the marks. Sure, they're ugly enough, but it's what they are, how they show the world who he is, what he was. He wonders what she thinks, if it frightened her. She's strong. She's so strong, stronger than him. But still, his scars sit on his back like dark confessions of a darker past. He knows this ain't the first time she saw them, but it is the first time he laid himself bare to her to see. A sense of unworthiness chokes at the back of his throat. She shouldn't have anything scarred or tainted. She deserves the boyish charm and smooth good looks of the Zacks and Jimmies of the world. Not some inked-up, scarred, older-than-fuck redneck with nothing to offer and less to give. Sometimes he wallows in his failures. Thing is, though, in his head he knows this isn't true. He knows he's still the same smug asshole who just last night was thinking how he has a house and a girl and a pet. How despite everything, including the goddamn apocalypse, he's actually managed to find something good and normal. And not just find it, but contribute to it, too. But then he thinks of Beth's naked body and breathy sighs, her small breasts and strong thighs, and how he touched her and tasted her. And he goes out of his head a little. Because at the end of it all, he's a Dixon. And Dixons don't deserve this. He spent the night fucking Beth Green. And he doesn't really know what to do with that. And she said she loved him. And he doesn't know what to do with that, either. Her breathing changes, and he's almost sure she's awake or close to it. But he's already out the door, bow at his heels, cold gusts of air washing over him and freezing the taste of her on his lips. Freezing the memories of last night and all the nights before that and it's chill and bright, and he's no longer shaking so badly, and he feels all right. He spent the night fucking Beth Green, and she said she loved him. He wants to just walk, just walk and not think, just let his head clear, 
concentrate on the cold and the light and just breathe until he's ready to let last night filter back into his head. But it doesn't work. Bo makes a beeline for number four's flower pot, attempting to cock his leg but falling over and resorting to squatting instead. Another day and it would be funny. Not today. Not when he spent the night fucking Beth Green. She said she loved him. He tries for some perspective, tries to pin it down and box it away. But the more he tries, the more he just thinks of how sweet her kisses were and how her soft thigh felt against his cheek, or how strong and sure her fingers felt when she wrapped them around him, and the strange rush of pride he felt when he made her come. He thinks it's the inevitability that scares him, the knowledge that it had to come to this. Since the night she agreed to live with him in that funeral home forever, without a thought, it was always going to come to this. There was nothing for it. It's also the fact that she knew. Even then. Even when he didn't. It doesn't surprise him now, in retrospect. Hindsight being twenty-twenty and all that. Guesses that there was no way they'd have ever stayed platonic, but that's not quite true. It couldn't be just anyone. It couldn't just be the stroke of fate which had them leaving the prison together. Because it ain't like he'd ever want anyone else. Not after this. But what about now? Well, now, despite the fact that he's touched her and tasted her, buried and spent himself deep inside her, he's as nervous as all fuck to go back inside that house. To see her. To face her. To talk to her. She said she loved him. So he walks with Beau, letting him sniff every blade of grass, inspect every leaf, letting time slide away from him, away from all this. He tells himself they have all the time in the world. And it's both the purest truth and the biggest lie. And it's that kind of juxtaposition that makes him doubt his sanity. So he shakes his head, clears his mind, and scans the yard, checks the walls, focuses outside instead of in. There's a walker at the gate. It happens occasionally. And he worries Bo will try and investigate, but he doesn't. Stays close and lets out a small, soft growl far more menacing than he should be able to do. He guesses everything grows up faster now. You have to, or the world gets you. Praise on the weak and the young. Good boy, he says gently, and Bo wags his tail and shoves his nose into a pile of leaves. The walker itself is falling apart, rotten and stinking, shattered bones and congealed organs rising out of a rancid pair of pajama pants. It's old. An old person, now an old walker, and for a moment he thinks this was once someone's grandma, someone's nan. Probably made cookies on Sundays or knitted ugly sweaters or something. And it's fucking sad when you get right down to it. Fucking tragic is what it is. This old broad who probably lived with five cats and had a knitting circle, attended a church group and had to be home by 5.30 to watch her soaps, is now a walking corpse banging on a fortified gate, wanting nothing more than to feast on the flesh of the living. It's a fucking disgrace, and it makes him sit to his stomach. The idea that everyone is worm food always depressed him, but it's a damn sight better than this. Rotten grandmothers wandering around in the cold, driven only by the desire to consume, to destroy, to gorge themselves on fresh meat. He wonders about his grandma, this old man's ma, tough old bitch who'd sit on her porch with a shotgun shooting rats in her back garden. He thinks if she were still alive, if she hadn't succumbed to the stomach cancer decades ago, she'd still be there now. A beer in one hand, boots up on the table, fading cigarettes in an ashtray next to her. A string of pearls, her singular nod to excess. 
Only difference is she'd be shooting walkers and not rats. Fucking walkers wouldn't stand a chance. Grandma Lila was a good shot. He looks back to the corpse. He'll need to put it down before it starts making too much noise. Does something dumb like attract others so they end up with a fucking herd outside the house. Not that there's really walkers here. There are, obviously, but they're so few and far between. He thinks it's the cold, knows how lethargic they get when the temperature drops. But even so... He wonders if maybe when Joe and the rest of them made their way through here, they cleared the area. But that doesn't make much sense. Places are too well-stocked, mostly untouched. He shrugs. He can't worry about this, not now at least. Because if he worries about this, he worries about Joe. And then he worries about Beth. And then he wants to shove her into that silly little girly car and just drive until they run out of road. So he walks to the gate, grabs his knife from his hip, and stabs the walker through the head. She crumples quickly, bones almost dust already. He thinks Beth would want a funeral or something, some way to honor her, and if he could, he'd give it to her. But he can't, because they can't be burying every walker they find behind this gate. And they can't be burning all the bodies either, because God knows what that kind of smoke would attract their way. He's sorry, though. Regardless of what they can and can't do, he's sorry, because this old broad shouldn't just be left to rot in the road. He thinks he'll ask Beth later what she wants to do if they should take the body into the field across the road. She'll have an answer, an idea at least. She always does. I love you, Daryl. Only you. He realizes somewhere that this means he'll need to talk to Beth, and he has a vision of his hands on her breasts and her thighs clenching around his waist as she rolls her hips against his. And he shakes it away. It shouldn't be this hard, he tells himself shouldn't. He loves her. He knows he does. There ain't no question anymore. Ain't no place to wonder. And it's fucking terrifying. Because sometimes she is fucking terrifying, and last night she was the most terrifying of all. Because sometimes she is fucking terrifying, and last night she was the most terrifying of all. And his heart is messed up, and his head is still in the fucking stratosphere somewhere, and it makes no sense how much he just wants to go into that house and hold her, and fall apart waiting for her to tell him it's all okay. It ain't even about what happened last night. It ain't even about her skin and her eyes, her smell and her taste. It's just about her, and goddamn fuck how much he fucking adores her, and how much he needs this to be okay. And how, for the first time, he realizes how fucking stunted he is when it comes to this kind of stuff. Because he has no clue what the fuck he's supposed to do with any of it. He loves her. And if last night's breathless confession was anything to go by, she loves him right back. She said she loved him. And fuck, that just has to be enough. Dead grandmas and world gone to shit aside... It just has to be. He hears her inside when he eventually circles back to their house, Bo at his heels. He's taken his time, walked Bo a little too long, maybe a little too far, stood leaning against the walls, a few more vain attempts at letting the cold air fill him and clear his head. He's starting to think he might never be sharp again, not after last night. Starting to think that this will just be it, and his mind will only ever have thoughts of her in it. He's okay with that, though. Somehow that seems reasonable, understandable. No cause for concern. 
She's upstairs humming when he opens the door, a tune he remembers from the smoky, soggy bars Merle used to take him to. Something about devils and dust and God being on your side. A song about trying to survive. It's appropriate. Maybe even a little depressing. Beau charges up the stairs toward the sound of her voice, and he thinks to himself that he wishes it could just be that very easy for him to. Because it's all he fucking wants to do, really. Go to her, hold her in his arms just long enough to know that everything is okay. That she's not mad, that he didn't do anything wrong and hasn't screwed this thing between them up. That last night can be a one-time thing if that's what she wants, if that's what she needs, and that he'll do his best to not make this weird between them. Because he can't lose her. Doesn't she know that? Doesn't she see that he'd be just fine with going back to how things were if that makes her happy? The pillows are no longer on the floor, most stacked back on the couches, and the rest she's likely taken with her upstairs. The scattered clothes are gone too, and for a second he's wildly embarrassed that she's picked up his semen-smeared shirt. Wonders if she looked at it, held it in her hands, if she could smell them on it, their mingled heat between her legs, the sweat of his back. He should go to her. He knows this. It's pathetic how he's standing downstairs, avoiding her like a naughty child. He should at least let her know he's there, right? Right? Beth, he calls from the bottom of the steps, and his voice is cracked, ragged, nothing like how it should be. For a second, he wonders if it's even him. Maybe she does too, because her humming stops, but she doesn't respond. He calls again. Beth? Yeah, she answers. I'm up here. And she sounds okay. Not mad or anything. Maybe a little tentative, a little wary. But there's the hint of a smile in her voice, and it's not even hard for him to follow the sound, walk up the steps, down the passage, linger in the doorway. She said she loved him. She's standing slightly turned away from him, wearing jeans and a wet rush of blonde hair against her back and the pink tips of her breasts are upturned and pebbled, and her belly is flat, and the muscle hidden beneath the skin of her waist, her hips, is strong and sinewy. And briefly he's looming over her, his hand between her legs and his kisses hot on her skin. And he's hearing her voice in his head telling him she wants this, and she wants him, and can't he see it? And why doesn't he already know? And what the fuck, girl? What the actual fuck? Shit, sorry, he says, looking away and half backing out the door. Maybe it's the cold light of day. Maybe it's just the fact that it's her. Maybe it's just him, but he feels like a child caught peeping. Like his gaze doesn't belong on her. Not now. Not like this. He knows it's ridiculous. Knows after last night that this shyness is stupid. But it's instinctual. And he can't shake it, no matter how hard he tries. He realizes, then, that despite his earlier misgivings, it may just have been better to wake up beside her, have this conversation when they're both sleepy and sticky and naked and wrapped up in each other. He thinks he would have found it easier, then. Maybe they wouldn't even have needed words, and he wouldn't have been scrambling as desperately as he is now. Maybe there would have been just touches and kisses, a few whispered sighs. But nothing like this. Nothing that feels so official. But the time for that has passed way past. He guesses its assessment of the situation ain't that great. Guesses there was no way it could be. Either way, she's looking at him, and there's a smile on her face, and her lips are still pink and swollen, and her neck is still marked, and the little half-moon-shaped bruises on her hips, he guesses, are an exact match for his fingernails. 
Daryl, it's okay, she says, and he realizes he's staring, and his eyes snap back to her face. Look at me, Daryl. Look at me. It's okay, she says again, but this time her voice wavers and she sounds less certain, some of that confidence slipping. And he knows it is, but he wishes, honest to God, that she'd just put some clothes on. Because when she stands here like this, wet and dewy from the shower, and there's only some faded denim between his hands and her flesh, he's back to thinking he's about to go out of his head. Either that, or he might scoop her up and have her against the slatted white cupboards. He spent the night fucking Beth Green. He spent the night fucking Beth Green. And honest to God, he can't wait to do it again. And suddenly he's disappointed when she tugs a loose plaid shirt over her head, even though he's still of a mind to back out the door. Not that he knows where the fuck he'd go. Not that there is anywhere to go. Not that he really wants to leave anyway. And there's something interesting in that revelation for him. A defiance against who he was, against the Dixons and who they were. That maybe he's the one, maybe the only one, who could do something right. The hint of belief in the possibility that there's a man he could be in all of this. And that man might, just might, just might, be a good man and a kind man. A man that Beth Green could love. She said she loved him. She did. He remembers. She must remember, too. You were like me. She starts to say something. Stops. Mouth snaps shut. And then she bites her lip and glances to the floor, to her toes, still painted, but now a goofy purple. And it occurs to him that she's as uncertain as he is. That they've swapped places now, and she's shy, and he's the one daring her. And despite last night, and despite now, she's trembling. It could be worry. Could be. But a little voice deep inside whispers that maybe it's anticipation. And suddenly he gets it, gets that she's just as nervous as he is, that giving herself to him was huge for her, that she put it all on the line, and now, well, now he's making it about him. And even though he's only been focused on last night, it's now he's fucking up. And he won't fuck up. Not if he can help it. She said she loved him. Maybe it's time he said it back. And he's already stepping towards her, and her arms are reaching out to him, and she's tiny and perfect. And he buries his face in her hair and whispers, Beth. God, Beth. And she shakes a little, and she's soft, but her arms are strong around his waist, and her lips find the skin at the V of his shirt, and he feels the hot, wet brush of her tongue against him. God, my girl. And he wants to ask if she's okay, and if they're okay, and if everything is going to be fine, and oh God, oh God, girl, what the fuck did we do? But none of that matters, because he can feel her smile against his chest, and her trembling isn't so bad anymore. Then he wonders why he took so long. Not just last night, sure, that too, but this morning. Why he didn't just let Bo out quickly, come back, and wake her gently, with kisses and embraces. Why, after so not fucking up last night, please, Daryl, please, after actually being halfway decent, he thinks of how she contracted around his fingers that first time, when he hadn't expected it, and neither had she, that he could fuck this up so stupidly and cruelly now. And he fists a hand into her wet hair, nodded, tangled, and tilts her head up to meet his eyes. And she's not confident now, that passive determination that dared him to touch her last night gone. She's something different, something unsure and wary. 
And he knows she's waiting for him. Waiting for him to do something. To say something. And he has no idea what. None at all. And somehow that's okay. So he stares back at her, at her eyes, her open lips, the flash of white teeth. He touches the marks on her neck where they stand out angry and raw against her pale skin, and she closes her eyes, lets him run his fingertips over her, lets herself go slack against him as he does. And he wants to soothe them and ease them off her skin, but he also wants to make more, mark her again over and over, until she's his. He thinks she might be already. I love you, Daryl. Daryl, I love you. Oh, God, Beth, what have we done? What have we started? And where does it end? Questions. Too many questions. Too many for him. Too many for her. And he doesn't want to answer them. Doesn't care if he ever does. Because it's not important. Not at all. What's important is her. And she's here, and she's with him, and she's safe. And she's not another dead girl. He runs a thumb across her collarbone, hands sinking into her shirt and curling around her shoulder. When he presses his lips to the skin of her cheek, he's soft and gentle, touching her as if she's glass as he trails his mouth down her jaw and neck, tasting the space where her neck meets her shoulder. And he hisses as her hands tighten on him, as her skin prickles and she presses into him, presses into him like she wants him to envelop her, like she wants to sink into him and forget where she starts, and he ends. And then she's not glass anymore, because he's kissing her mouth and he's hard and forceful, tongue, hot and wet, demanding access between her lips. And she matches him measure for measure, stroke for stroke. And that toughness is back, the calm confidence edged with white-hot need that drove him out of his head last night and threatens to do the same again now. And then, Jesus Christ, but he is backing her into the cupboard, lifting her off her feet, so that her legs dangle like a rag doll's for a second before one slides over his hip, and the other bends to find purchase on the wood. And her hands are gripping his biceps like claws, so tightly it hurts, so tightly he thinks she's trying to repay him for the marks on her hips and neck from last night. And his lips are on her jaw, tongue tracing the line to her ear, and then dropping to nip at the pale skin of her neck, where she's delicate and smooth, and her pulse beats in a rhythm that is neither. He mouths her name against her skin. God, girl, he whispers, and she drags him closer, breath hitching in her throat as his mouth finds a sensitive spot near her ear. One word, one word, and he'll stop. One movement, a sound that isn't right, and he'll stop immediately. But the sounds she's making are all so right, so perfect, and her skin is so soft against his stubble. And then she's saying his name, and her voice is cracked and needy, and it sounds like she wants to eat him alive. And that's okay, too. There are worse ways to go. Many worse ways. He considers how it would be to take her right there, flat against the cupboards, her body pushed against him, legs tight at his middle. Wonders if he could. Thinks it's possible. Thinks she makes him strong, even as she makes him weak. But there are other things, other things he wants to do, other things he wants to know. Things far more pressing than fucking her against the cupboard, things more important, and he pulls it back into himself, tries to temper his rough movements, soften his hands and mouth on her skin. Last night, he rasps into her neck because he can't bear to say it to her face. Last night, did you mean what you said? He doesn't know why he asks. He really doesn't. He thinks it's either to hear it again or talk her out of it, both of which are dumbass reasons. 
but he has to know. Has to know if it was just her lust-addled brain talking, if she was just saying what she thought she needed to, what she thought he needed to hear in the moment. And she goes still against him, body no longer arching, legs slack. And when he looks at her, her eyes harden briefly, only briefly. You wouldn't notice if you weren't looking, if you don't know her like he does. But it's there. It goes before it truly arrives. It is there. And he wonders if he's offended her, or if it's something else. Something worse. Something like the realization that, well, it was just her lust-addled brain talking, that he isn't older than fuck redneck who puts his hands on her when he shouldn't. Pragmatically, he knows he should be past that, that these feelings of inadequacy shouldn't still linger. But he can't help it. Because no matter how you look at it, apocalypse or not, there's just no way he should be here with the most wonderful girl to ever exist. The chances are a zillion to one, and he still waits to wake up. And yet, somehow, every morning that he does, nothing has changed. She's still there, wrapped around him, or him around her, her head on his chest. He guesses he's just waiting for it to end. But her voice is low when she speaks, not quite the breathy whisper that would make him lose his head, but close. You don't have to ask, Daryl, she says, smoothing a hand over his cheek. But he does. He really does. And she purses her lips a little, a tight little smile, and she closes her eyes for a second. And he feels like she's blocking him out, but when she looks at him again and her eyes are big and blue and holding the pain and joy of lifetimes she never could have lived, he knows she wasn't. That she was just taking a minute, a moment for herself. Maybe the last one before she gives herself over to him. It's you, Daryl, she says, voice firm. It's always been you. And it's all he needs to hear before he covers her mouth with his again. Safe up here with you. Chapter 9. The fever now consumes us both. What the fuck have you done? It's a soft voice. Hardly there at all. He brushes it away like a mosquito. It doesn't matter. Somewhere between the day he brought her here and this moment, the world outside this place, that valley and this house on this mountaintop, went away and all he has is this, and up here none of the old rules apply. Up here, in this secret garden, magic is real, and it's not the kind of magic kids hear stories about. It's old magic. Bad magic. Magic with teeth. She believes they're both dead. Maybe they are. How sure is he that they aren't? How clearly does he really remember that other world out there? How long has he felt like he didn't belong there? What the fuck have you done? Watching her clean herself up in front of the kitchen sink, ruining yet another towel. She was very good, very proper, 
She disposed of what was left of the carcasses, threw them over the deck railing, and she made the floor spotless, wiped up everything. Now she's carefully cleaning her arms, face, letting water flow a little way under her fingernails, picking at them. He hasn't moved. He can't take his eyes off her. She got what she wanted. Now it's his turn. Who's Gorman? He's not surprised to hear that his voice is completely flat. He still doesn't feel anything. She freezes, her hand still beneath the tap. Absolutely stops dead. He wouldn't have believed it was possible for someone to go so completely still. He can see every muscle in her gone rigid and only, almost imperceptible, her throat working. And he knows he's made a mistake. And he doesn't care. Because all of this is a mistake. She shakes herself very slightly and goes back to rinsing, turning her hands over and over under the streaming water. He was one of the officers. Why are you dreaming about him? Because, she says serenely, he tried to rape me. Oh. This should enrage him. He's certain it should. This should send his blood crackling into ice and seething into boiling lava. The cold red fog that swallowed him when he killed Dawn, that fog should be returning now. He should want to roar back down this mountain and all the way back to Atlanta. Never mind the shit that went down there. Never mind all the running they had to do. He should want to charge back into that fucking place and murder everyone he sees without a single iota of inclination to discriminate. Equal opportunity slaughter. He doesn't feel anything. He ain't here, he says softly. It seems like the thing to say. He can't hurt you. You're safe. I know, she says, still utterly calm. I killed him. She cuts off the water, dries her hands, and sets the towel down by the sink, turns to face him and lifts her left wrist to her mouth and, very calmly, bites down and jerks her head sideways. He stares at her, stares at the blood welling up around her lips and dripping down her arm with distant bewilderment. Why the fuck is she doing that? She just cleaned herself up. She was so careful. Why the fuck is she getting it all over herself again? Then everything inside him breaks open. This is why he wasn't feeling anything. This is why his mind wouldn't let himself feel anything. Because now he does, and all that lava is there, blasting through his veins, scorching his muscles and crisping his nerves, and screams lock themselves behind his teeth as he launches himself forward and slams into her, seizing her upper arm and her wrist and trying to yank them both free. He's not the biggest man, but he's powerful, very, and he's bigger than her, and he's always known that he could overpower her if he had to, and once they got here, yet another detail he hated about this whole thing, even as he realized it was a necessary truth, he appreciated it as something on which he might, at some point, depend. But she's powerful too, and right now she's flooded by her body's chemistry and pumped to extremity, and she fights him with strength he can barely process, piling itself on top of everything else he's trying desperately to ignore so he doesn't just curl up on the floor and, following what's beginning to seem like a very rational example, clawed his own face. Her wrist is a torn mess, ripped open but difficult to diagnose beyond that as the well of blood obscures everything. She's still so calm, not trembling, displaying no particular expression at all. As he grapples with her, he sees her face in flashes, her wide, flat eyes, the nothingness behind them. 
the robotic commitment to fulfilling some deep-seated instruction. This isn't like when she was biting at her fingers. Her teeth snap at her right arm, carving into herself just above her wrist, and he sees a thin string of flesh strip free and dangle from the corner of her mouth before it falls to the floor. This isn't like before. It's nothing like that. She's not trying to eat herself. She's trying to die. Beth, fucking stop it! He remembers trying to get her hands away from her mouth before, how he was half sure he might end up breaking her bones. Now he's all but certain he will, because his grip is so much worse, so much more inclined to slip and wrench, with his fingers slicking in her blood and his nails hooking instinctively when she jerks in his hold, jerks and spasms, and hurls herself backward with her bare feet skidding on the floor, blood spattering onto them, her jaws opening and closing and opening and closing, lightning finally slashing up in the sky through the windows, and the whole world dissolving into a sick, screaming dream of red and black. And hands. Some of that screaming might be her, but he doesn't think so. Some of it might be him, but that feels just as unlikely. This is the screaming of every atom cursed to be in this space and to be part of what's happening here, every particle and every element that has no hope of escape. All of it is so close, and he's holding her so close, dragging her in against him even as she kicks and writhes and tries with blank determination to turn those champing jaws on him. She's bleeding, and he doesn't know how badly, or how badly she's hurt herself, and still might but he knows that she's bleeding a lot and she's hurt herself far beyond anything a band-aid could cure. And she's not weakening one bit. She's just fighting him. Without passion, without fire. Feet planted on the floor despite his attempts to shove her off balance. Surging against him like a swelling wave and just as unstoppable. She's not going to stop. His shoulder is woken up from the painkillers and is shrieking at him. And she's going to wear him down, and she's not going to stop. He's shaking her, jerking her body back and forth, trying to get her loose from whatever has her, but she's dragging her wrists back to her mouth and biting her flesh apart, her eyes that violently tranquil blue. He releases her, shoves her away. That finally does unbalance her, and she staggers, a flicker of confusion crossing her face, and he lunges past her toward the pantry. He has no idea how much time he has, but it's not enough. It won't be enough and he's hauling the pack out from the crevice in which he hid it, ripping it open and fumbling with bloody nerveless fingers for the bottles and syringes. He didn't want to have to use it. He knew he would. It would be fucking wonderful, he thinks, as he stabs the needle through the top of the bottle, if he could find that coldness again. It would be fucking amazing if he could stop feeling, because that was the kind of void that you can feel growing by orders of magnitude that aims to swallow you whole, but he could move within it. He could get some kind of distance. It might make this easier because it might make his hand stop shaking and if he sends air to her heart, he'll do the job she's trying to do with her teeth. And for the most horrible moment he's ever experienced, he considers it. It might be kinder than this. He scrambles backward to the syringe clutched against his palm, somehow locates his feet, makes it to the door and back into the kitchen. She's kneeling just like she knelt over dinner, only now she's using those merciless teeth to ruin herself, still calm as a Buddha, zen regarding her own death. He's so fucking angry, so fucking jealous, as he grabs her in a bear hug and holds her still with his free hand on her throat, and before she can jerk away from him, he plunges the needle into her shoulder and depresses the plunger, forcing honey-colored sleep into her veins. It happens fast. She struggles as soon as he withdraws the needle, but she's already weakening. 
In another ten seconds, she sags back against him, body softening, hands going limp at her sides and trickling more blood onto the floor. And again, he's taking one breath at a time, feeling the house shaking around them, watching that spreading pool beneath and around her, holding her in the hallway, getting her all over his hands. Had it been so hellish and so simple. There hadn't been any more decisions to make. Hadn't been anything else to question. It had all been over. Was part of him relieved, then? Even a tiny part? The sliver? He could just hold on to her now, like that. She's not scared. She doesn't feel anything at all. She's not even here anymore, to the extent that she ever was. He could just hold her. He could hold her and just let it happen. He's moving again, doing so without intending to, and only aware of it when he's already up on his knees and reaching for the towel, pressing it against her wrists. Lifting it, staring down and trying to get a glimpse of the damage before the blood covers it again. But it's not coming as fast as he thought. Maybe there isn't even as much as there seems to be. There's no gush, just a slow welling. She didn't manage to bite through her arteries. She would almost certainly be dead now if she had, and they would be sitting in a sea of blood instead of a puddle. She'll probably live. Why the fuck, he whispers as he increases the pressure, cradling her against his chest, holding her so tight it's as if he might keep all the blood in her body by squeezing it in. Why the fuck did you... Why? But he knows why. Or he knows enough. He did it. What he said. It's his fault. All of it. All of it always was. It's dusk outside, and deeper dusk in the house when he finally gauges that the bleeding has slowed enough for him to remove the pressure and pick her up, and he carries her, still boneless, head lolling, to her bed and lays her down. It really isn't as bad as it might have been, and as he cleans the bites out and starts to bandage them, he's a little relieved to discover that he's... he's relieved. He is. He feels it. She's lying with her head tipped toward the window, her eyes half open and her face still smeared red. She looks dead. He notes this with no particular disturbance, not anymore. Apparently up here it's just a fact of life, and at this point, if he lets it stop him, he'll never get anything done. What he has to get done now is to clean her. There's something faded about this. Possibly he's used up all his horror, because when he looks her over again and considers his options, he doesn't feel any. Only weariness. He's trapped. The way above him has been blocked. There's nothing to do but descend. He still has control. He wouldn't have made it this far with her if he didn't. His brain is fucking with him, but it doesn't have a last word, and he can do this. He's not too far gone. He leaves her and goes to get wood, the bucket she bathed with, towels. As he builds the fire, he periodically shoots her glances and thinks, because he can't help it, about her in the firelight. Her bare skin smeared with blood, her eyes wide and glittering as she grasped his hand and pulled him to her. Into her. His fingers, her tight, slick cunt, the beautiful, inhuman shadows of her face. He always thought she was the one who could speak prophecy. He's been wrong about a lot of things. 
He builds the fire up to roaring, to far more than warm, sets the towels and the soap and the cloth down and the water beside it, and lifts her by the shoulders, so careful, and leads her over to it. He doesn't think about what his hands are doing as he strips her, doesn't think about the skin beneath them. In all their time together, he barely touched her, and even since they got here, he still hasn't touched her any more than he felt he had to. Except that's not quite true, is it? The border between the familiar country of must and the far stranger land of want has all but dissolved, and he's having increasing difficulty differentiating between the two. Isn't sure there is a difference anymore. He wants her back, needs her back, that's all. The list of things he'll do in order to have that is lengthening, and he's cognizant enough to know that he has no idea where it'll stop. If she'll come back before he goes too far. All of this is distant musing. He's slipping back into numbness, and that much might be necessary. But her body is coming into view, bit by excruciating bit, excruciating in the recesses of his mind rather than the forefront. Her delicate little breasts, the dip of her waist and the swell of her hips, the small patch of tight curls between her strong thighs, her shoulders, the line of her neck, her hands, her bandaged wrists, the tight muscle knitted beneath her skin. He never saw a woman like this before. Never in his life. Never looked at one this way. Never felt these things. They should terrify him, perhaps more than anything else. But they also feel faded. They were there before he ever found her again. They'd been there for a long time. This isn't how it was supposed to be, he thinks, as he gently tugs her to her knees in front of him, facing him. He didn't know there was a how and a supposed that came along with it, but this isn't right. Maybe he was supposed to feel this, find her and bring her back, and at some point let it all flow, let it out and examine it, explore it, maybe offer it to her. Maybe just be with her and never let any of it out, wanting her in silence, wanting her that way. Not like this. Not all this red and black. She's so sweet and so beautiful, and she deserves so much better. So much better than a fucked up man who never could have saved her anyway. He wets the cloth, rubs soap over it, and starts to wash her. He could go rapidly, try to get it done as fast as possible, touch her no more than he has to. But naturally, he doesn't do it that way because he's an idiot and because he's set a trap for himself that he can't hope to escape. He takes his time, passing the cloth over her skin and rinsing and repeating, streaking her with pale suds, wiping them away. Those shoulders, those arms, collarbones, working his way down. Cleaning off all the blood, but of course, it's more than that. He moves down to her breasts and cups them as he washes her there, too. She stained herself through her shirt. And against his palm, he feels her nipples hardening into the cool air. Further down, her waist and belly, her hips, and before he has time to pull himself out of this trance state he's fallen into and ask some very serious and necessary questions about what he's doing, his hand is between her legs. The cloth is a barrier between her cunt and his fingers, but even so, and stroking her, rubbing her. Still washing, yes, but touching her in a way he doesn't need to for that. Curved against her, over her mound, 
fingertip against the cleft of her lips and the little nub nestled there, pressing, and she stiffens slightly, rolls her hips against his hand, and moans. He stares at her, her skin glistening in the light, all gold and red and black. In a horror, yes, he has some left to feel, and in fascination. Her eyes are half-closed, lips parted and wet, her breath coming in slow, shallow pulls. This is all wrong. This is so fucking wrong. He didn't even know he wanted it until a week ago, and he doesn't under any circumstances want it like this. Her drugged and insane, and him beginning to feel halfway to the ladder, and only a few hours after she tried to bite herself to death. He might as well have done what he saw done so many times before the turn, gotten her so drunk she can't say no, and then... But he could do it. Right now. He could fuck her. He knows she wouldn't stop him. Almost certainly wouldn't be able to stop him. He could strip himself, shove her onto the floor and knee her legs apart and drive himself into her. Maybe she's gone. Maybe he's not getting her back. And maybe he feels all the worst kinds of helplessness. But he could try to fuck the world into her. If he wanted to. God, he wants to. He wants to so bad. He wants to fucking throw up, because he's sick, and maybe he didn't start with this. Maybe he always has been. He jerks his hand away, finishes with her, barely touches her the rest of the time. When he's done, he rubs her roughly down with the towel and brushes her teeth, washes the blood out of her mouth, too. Dresses her for bed, and he puts her in it, and turns firmly away. He can still see her, curled on her side staring at nothing with fire in her eyes. He shouldn't do it. He doesn't want to examine his reasons why. But he goes back to the pack and half fills another syringe with sedative, returns to her, and injects her. He has to sleep sometime. He can't keep watch all night. And he can't bear to tire down. And he can't trust her. Maybe not ever again. She accepts the needle with a sigh, closes her eyes. Like before, he turns quickly away, goes to get wine. It's not raining now, and he sits out on the wet deck with his back leaned against the railing, a puddle soaking through the seat of his pants, drinking very good Pinot Noir, not that he would know, and staring up the roiling clouds glowing sickly gray-yellow with their bizarre self-illumination. Deep, monstrous creatures in a very unfriendly sea. He's not getting her back. He still has the syringe. He looks at it for a few moments, the gleam of the needle, then flips it over his head, over the railing. He doesn't watch its fall, but he hears it clatter on the way down. Fuck. Shaking. Shaking him. He wrenches himself awake, up. He's still drunk a bit, and roaring darkness is pressing in on him, and he's confused, vaguely nauseated and once more it feels like the entire house is rocking and wobbling and dangerously close to pitching over and tumbling down the side of the cliff, even though it's silent outside and no wind is howling now. And a weight on him, pressing him into the bed, a grip on his bare shoulder so tight and so pointed it hurts him, fingers, hooked little fingers, shaking him with strength that would surprise anyone who doesn't, who doesn't know her. She's barely a form at all, She's mostly sunken into the darkness, visible only through a kind of fog that might be in his head, or might really be there, and he's not sure it makes any difference. 
It's her, and she's straddling him, breathing hard, trembling, groping for him. It slams into him, vivid flashes of that nightmare, those nightmares, her skin slick with blood and her hand between her legs, pulling him in with her, demanding, wanting him, demonic and beckoning him, inviting him to be infernal with her, inviting him to burn. He can't. Not that, not now. He whimpers, tries to shove himself up, tries to get enough purchase to scramble out from under her and away. And fuck, she shouldn't even be awake. If what Edwards told him about the dosage is right, she should be totally out of it until well into tomorrow morning. But she's here. She's wild and scrabbling at him, and she's gasping something, incoherent, sobbing, and when he manages to push himself up, and suddenly he's so close to her. He can feel her tears on his face under his thumbs when he lifts his hands and frames her cheeks. Beth, what? You were gone, she whispers. I was there, and you were gone, and you... There wasn't anyone. I woke up, and there wasn't anyone, and then they were... They were... How could you? Why did... They had me. They had me, and I couldn't get away. I couldn't get out. She shudders violently, like electricity is running all through her, and now, very dimly, he can see her face, her wide and panicked eyes. I tried. I couldn't get out. I had the gun, but I couldn't get out. Not the car. She didn't have a gun in the car unless one was already in there. What then? What the fuck is she remembering? And it doesn't matter because she's so afraid, and suddenly everything horrible seeping and oozing and crawling into his mind melts away, and it's just her. And he has to help her. He has to do something. He has to try. When she cried before, he couldn't stand it. He would have done anything to make it stop, and he never knew how. I'm here, his fingers combing into her hair, through it, tugging her closer, wrapping an arm around her. He hates this. He hates it so fucking much. He never wanted to be the one who had to hold her like this. Not really. Never wanted her to need it, to need him. She was so strong. This is so unworthy of her. But he's here and that confers upon him certain responsibilities. You're here too, Beth. You're right here. You're safe. You're with me. It's... I want to be here. She's nodding into his hands, shivering, still crying, heaving with it. His chest is cracking open. He's going to bleed everywhere. I want to be with you. I want to be with you so bad. I want to... I want to be... He can't breathe. All at once, she's thrusting herself forward in his lap, Arms encircling his neck and her tears staining his cheeks and her mouth arching over his, hot and wet and hungry, her tongue pushing at his lips, trying to push them apart, trying to get inside him. He's a stone, locked motionless, arms still around her but not pulling her close, not pushing her away, not doing anything. He dreamed about lying next to her and listening to the wet squelch of her fingers fucking into her cunt, and he dreamed about taking her his own finger sliding into her, teasing her nipples, the possibility of doing so many more filthy, terrifying things to her. And this is a kiss, just a kiss, and somehow it's so much more than any of those things. It's unlacing his spine, spilling marrow into his blood, exploding the back of his skull. It's a bullet shot into him in slow motion. All he wants to do is lunge into its path. So he does. She wants him open. She wants to be inside him. And he opens to her with a rough groan, bursting from cold stone to flames in the span of a second. 
His hands drop to her hips and drag her in as he slides his tongue alongside hers. Bites at it. Sucks. Teeth colliding with a muffled clack. Never kissed anyone like this. Not even close. Barely kissed anyone at all in his entire fucking life. And this is devouring him. And he wants to devour her. Rocking up to meet her. So hard and knowing she can feel it. Wanting her to feel it. What he can do to her. What he will do. Because she's moaning so thick and heavy, rolling down against him in a slow grind, hands tangled in his hair and yanking his head back as she lifts herself over him. He knows what's going to happen now, can see it, feel it like it's already here. She's going to kick off those shorts, claw down his own, get her shirt off over her head, arch into him until he's cupping her breasts with no cloth between them, tweaking her nipples, ducking his head to look at them as she takes him in her hand and lowers herself onto him, and clenches as hot and wet as her mouth, all hell under her skin, all blood and bone, red and black, riding his cock like he's a horse she means to break. She'll rip him open. She'll bleed him dry, drip copper onto his tongue, flesh tearing way between his teeth. They'll scream a duet at the night. They're both dead, so it doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. Beth, he gasps, against her lips into her mouth. Beth, stop. I want to be with you, she hisses. She might be arguing, but he knows she isn't. No, she didn't hear him, or didn't understand. Daryl, I want to be with you. Let me... Oh, God, please let me be in me. Please, fuck me, please. You gotta stop. Pushing at her now, taking hold of her upper arms. The words break out between them. He should stop kissing her, but his own fucking mouth isn't obeying him. Beth, you can't. We can't. You need to. I don't want to stop. So she did hear it this time. She does understand. She only presses in harder, needier, fumbling between them and closing her hand over him kneading with her palm. You want this? I can feel it, Daryl. You want it. You wanted it before, the way you were looking at me. Don't you fucking tell me you don't. I do. But he doesn't. But he does. He shudders as hard as she did, trying not to buck up into her hand because it's so fucking good. And he just wants to feel good after so much bad. But he... She's insane. No. N no. No, Beth, you... He shoves harder, squirming, trying to twist away. But she's so strong. Beth, you gotta... You gotta... Beth, stop. Stop! He doesn't mean to. It just busts out of his throat like a prison break. And it's the same voice as before, when she was biting at her fingers. That quiet steel coming from somewhere inside him that he didn't know was there. At the same moment, he shoves her so hard she goes tumbling backward, trying to catch herself, landing sprawled half on the mattress and half on the floor. He hears the thump, her pained whine, and it's not like she actually fell any significant distance, but everything in him dives into cold. It keeps hurting her, bites over her bruise, and now probably more to match. Nothing for a second, a second that extends out and out into a temporal prison. He's locked into it. They both are. He sits there and stares into the dark, heart ice in the bottom of his throat. She's crying again. Softly this time. Soft and broken and lost. Beth, why did you leave me? Nothing more than a choked whisper, and for another lengthy second or two, he doesn't fully understand her. I was so scared. Why did you do that? You left me alone. 
Another moan, but no pleasure in it. No need. He sees her moving, sees her fall. Sees her curling on the floor and hugging herself. I don't want to be alone. Please. I don't want to be alone anymore. You're not. I swear you're not. Beth. Lifting himself onto his hands and knees, crawling toward her. Because he can't stay away. Even now, he can't stay away. He's so bad for her, and he can't help her, but he can't stay away. He needs her. Doesn't need to fuck her. He never did need that. He just needs her. How he has her doesn't matter, and it never has. One thing that truly doesn't. I am. You don't want me. Her cheeks glistening, her eyes wide and locked on him. They're pools of ink, of oil. Even if there was light, he's certain there wouldn't be any color left. I want to be with you, and you don't want me. Don't you dare fucking lie to her. Don't you dare. I want you, he whispers. He reaches for her, touches her, and she jerks and whimpers, cringes away from him, and his eyes sting like the points of needles. I do. God, I want you, Beth. I want you so bad. He hauls in a ragged breath. But I can't. Why not? Because it ain't right. Because I look at you and I see a child. And as long as that's true, I can't touch you that way. Because there is no way in this hell or any other, no scenario in which you can say yes to me. And you don't mean it. He feels her against his hand, pushing into him. Her wet face, nuzzling at his palm like a dog. I do. No, you don't. You think you do, but you can't. He swallows and it burns all the way down. But it's true. All of it is. He doesn't have to lie. I don't want you like this. Nothing then. Just the awful quiet sound of her weeping in the dark, and she doesn't sound like herself. She sounds like a little girl. A little girl who had a nightmare and doesn't know if she's awake. Doesn't believe she is. Beth, come here. Suddenly it's not difficult anymore. It's the easiest thing in the world. He's not hard now, not burning for her. It's all gone. All that remains is her and the dark in which she's losing herself. And he's not going to let that happen. Even if he can't help her. Even if he can't bring her back. If she's going to fall, she won't fall alone. Come here. My girl, come here. Come here to me. She doesn't pull away this time, and he gathers her into his arms, tugs her back onto the mattress and against his chest. He curls himself around her, holds her, buries his face in her hair. She smells like the soap he used to wash her. I ain't leaving you, he breathes, holds her tighter as a fresh wave of sobbing rolls through her. I ain't leaving you again. Never again. Never. Sweetheart, baby girl, I ain't never gonna do that. Bit by bit, the shaking subsides, and she goes loose. Limp. He's not sure she's sleeping, and then he looks down and knows she isn't. Her eyes are open and glassy, and he watches for a full ten seconds before that faint glisten flickers out and blink. Possibly whatever gripped her and shot her free of the drug has slipped out of her, and she's sunk back into that black water. That's another thing that doesn't matter. What matters is that she's quiet now, soft and warm. And she's alive, and he has her. I'm so sorry. 
I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Didn't mean to leave. Didn't mean to do any of this. I'm sorry. Kiss me, and you will see how important I am. By Seraph Selim. The first time Daryl almost kissed Beth was in the prison. He stood in the doorway of her cell and said Zach's name. That was it, just his name. He looked away when she asked if the boy was dead. He didn't have to reply. Didn't have to confirm anything. The truth was there in the way he wouldn't really say anything, wouldn't even look at her. He didn't want the weight of her sorrow riding his bones. Daryl's had enough of other people's sorrow. Had enough of his own to carry. She surprised him, though, Beth, with her pretty blue eyes so wide and surprisingly dry. She told him, I don't cry anymore. Said it like it was the most normal thing in the world. As if this wasn't the end of the world and they weren't living in a prison and the boy she'd been holding hands with days earlier wasn't suddenly dead. And then she was standing too close, looking up at him and asking if he were okay. Daryl could barely look at her, angled himself away, ready to run, to find someone else to put her back together when she finally fell apart. Then she was wrapped around him. No warning, just her head on his chest and her arms around his waist. She smelled like sunshine and dust, and for a moment Daryl didn't know what to do. He froze, held himself away, hands on Beth's elbows, halfway between pulling her closer and pushing her away. She looked up at him, her face so close to his. A breath of space between them. He could see it then, the shutters in her eyes. Everything she'd ever wanted, everything she'd ever loved, locked up and closed away. He almost leaned down and kissed her. Almost asked her with his mouth on her trembling lips to open up and let it all go. For a moment, he wanted that from her. Her tears and her heartbreak, the pain in her eyes, and all the sorrow she had to give. The second time Daryl almost kissed Beth, the world had ended again. One more out of too many times to count. The prison shot to hell, fence gone, tanks in the crops, and the group scattered to God knew where. He'd built a fire and they sat under the moon. Daryl was trying to think of what needed to happen next. What they should do, where they should go. How he was supposed to take care of them. Take care of her. Find her sister for her. And then she started talking about survivors and finding people, and all kinds of impossible things. He could see the way she held herself tight, cracks beneath her skin beginning to widen. Everything that she'd shut away rising to the surface. Daryl supposed that your maybe boyfriend dying somewhere you can't see was very different from watching your old man have his head chopped halfway off his neck right in front of you. 
Daryl did not say this out loud, but he did think of Merle, and how losing a brother and losing a father might be almost like the same thing. He watched Beth from beneath his lashes, the way she paced on one side of the fire, talking to herself as much as to him. She was exhausted and dirty, and holding on to... what? He didn't know. Some unknown bit of hope she'd kept tucked away. Something that said, this is not the end. Daryl sat there and watched her and listened. Held himself real still, because there were no words that he could say, even if he were so inclined. Daryl had never been the one with the right things to say. He was good with mean, cutting asshole things to say. Things that push people's buttons. Things that start fights. But he did not want to fight with Beth. He thought that holding her would be good. Feeling her cuddled up in his arms, her head on his chest, would be good. He would hold her together, and himself, too. If he could just touch her and say all the right things and kiss the anger from her mouth. Drink the desperation and the hope straight from her lips. Daryl sat by the fire instead, elbows on his knees, and didn't move. When Beth walked off into the woods, he put out the fire and followed her. Daryl finally kisses Beth in the back of a car, but not in the way you do at a drive-in movie. It's nothing like taking his best girl to see Easy Rider in vintage black and white, Peter Fonda roaring off into the desert forty feet above them. They aren't stretched out in the back seat with his arm around her, holding her close into his side. They huddle in the trunk of a wreck on the side of the road, Daryl's handkerchief holding the trunk down. Walkers swarm outside, and Beth, eyes wide and her hand over her own mouth, is trying not to scream. She's unraveling. Has been since they found the bodies by the train tracks, a small shoe abandoned in the blood. Daryl lays his crossbow to the side and reaches for her. Beth startles, and Daryl shushes her. Curling his hand around her arm, he coaxes her up to where he is. It's tight and close in the trunk, but she's thin and young and flexible. Shh, he whispers into her hair, presses her into his chest, one hand laced through the silky soft wreckage of her slipping ponytail. Beth curls an arm around Daryl's shoulders and tucks her face into his neck. He can feel her trembling, shaking so hard her teeth have begun to chatter. He turns slightly, away from the gap in the trunk, away from the walkers shuffling past them on the road, and wraps her up in both arms. Holds her tight as he can, one hand roaming the length of her back. Daryl doesn't say anything. There's nothing to say. This is fucked up, and he can't make it better for her. Can't bring her father back. Can't give her back her sister. So he holds her instead and kisses the top of her head, whispers her name, and rubs her back. Beth pulls back a little and tilts her face up then, looks up at him with her wide blue eyes wet with tears. He kisses her, then, because what else can he do? The world is burned out, and there's just the two of them huddled in the trunk of an old car. Daryl catches her bottom lip between his teeth and tugs gently. The kiss is soft as daylight, and Beth whimpers as she draws him closer and presses hard into his mouth. Pulling back, Daryl hushes her again, touches her cheek. Sorry, he says. For the kiss, for the car and the walkers outside, for the fire and the prison and Maggie and her father and the bodies by the side of the road. Sorry for everything and nothing. Sorry for things he has no control over but would fix for her if he could. Beth slides her hands into Daryl's hair, strokes the back of his neck. Don't be, she whispers.
we're back. Uh, I, I just gotta say, like, quick side note. Um, Y'all know that I love writing Beth. Uh, I, I write Beth a good bit these days, actually. I mean, Hal is like a lot Beth, and then uh, The Good Stars, which is my new uh, multi-chapter, God Help Me, which is me rewriting the entire show uh, from season one. Uh, I just finished up season one. I can't believe I got that far. That's about half Beth POV, too. But, um, I mean, you, you all probably know, Daryl POV is kind of where my heart still is, because, you know, that's just kind of... It's him. It's him. It's his brain. It's his anxious, ridiculous, you know, squirmy little fucking brain. And I love Daryl characterization so much when it's so good. And both of these fics, in their own way, uh, I think the fics that aren't, you know, fine. Both of these fics do that really, really well, but in really different ways. I mean, they're they're both kind of Daryl thinking about his relationship to this other person and kind of worrying about and feeling anxious about his connection to this other person and the nature of it, but from such different perspectives, because one is obviously, you know, kind of at the beginning, what might be a deeper relationship. And then one is uh, at a moment when the relationship is already quite deep and has taken a turn for the significantly deeper. And I just, I don't know, I just, I think that's cool. I, I think that the variety of different points at which we all as a fandom explore Daryl's uh, psyche and, and the way he approaches intimate relationships in particular, I just think that's really neat. Uh, as, as I've been sort of dealing with the wind down of the hiatus and, and, and kind of the fact that, I mean, let's, let's face it, we're a less active fandom than we used to be. It's three years since our ship supposedly sunk. I mean, it's, I can't honestly believe we have lasted as long as we have. Uh, it's sort of natural that I think people might be sort of easing off a little bit right now. But one of the things that it's been making me do is step back and kind of think about, you know, what are the things that I really like about this fandom? I haven't left, you know? I'm still here. I haven't joined another fandom. Um, I probably won't. I mean, when I'm done with this fandom, I'm probably just kind of done for a while. I don't know. It's how, it's how I'm wired. Um, I've been thinking about the stuff that I really love about this fandom and the stuff that keeps me here. And, and there's, you know, there's so much good. There's a lot of bullshit. Uh, if you follow me on Tumblr, you know that I am usually not quiet and am sometimes obnoxiously blunt about the stuff that pisses me off and about the stuff that I have a hard time dealing with personally. There's a lot of bullshit. Uh, there are a lot of reasons to leave, but I think that there are also so many reasons to stay. And I'm, I'm so grateful for all of you for listening. Uh, like, as we head into 2018, uh, I just I really want you to know that. If you're here, if you're listening, if you've been listening since the beginning, if you're a newcomer, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you just for listening, for caring enough about this to stick with me as I sort of go on this weird audio journey through these various things. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to me that you all are still here. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted you to know that. You're great. I, I appreciate you as a person. You're super valuable, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you are with me. And you know what? We're going to get through this next year together. We're going to do it. Uh, 2017 fucking sucked. But you know what? We, we made it through it. And one thing that I think that we discovered or that I personally discovered coming through it is that there's a lot of good in people. People are much stronger than I thought. People are worse than I thought, but people are also strong and good and kind and persevering and they care for each other and they step up when they need to step up and i think that 2018 is going to be more of that i really do uh, all things considered I'm, I'm positive about stuff okay i have no idea when i'm going to get the next episode up but i really will try to have it not be more than another month and i appreciate your patience just as much as your presence i want you to know regardless until i get the next episode up thank you again for listening so so much and I will hopefully, I swear, speak to you soon. Bye.